Glad you decided to be here to worship with us, have a chance to praise God together as the family of God. Before we begin our lesson, let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you thanking you on this day that we've had a chance to come here to worship you and lift you up for who you are and what you have done. God, I pray that you'll be with us as we go into this time of study of your word, that we'll examine ourselves and that we'll uh, walk away from here as changed people, making the changes in our lives necessary according to your word. God, I pray that you always keep your loving hand on us because you do care for us. And we know that by you sending your son to this world to die for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Tonight, we're going to be looking at Solomon. We're going to be looking at him escaping vanity and selfishness. You know, as you look at our society and you look at uh, some defining factors of us, I'd say that we are a very self-absorbed society. I mean, you look at the type of TV shows and the type of entertainment that we have in our lives, we're very self-absorbed. We have a lot of vanity, a lot of things that go on in our personal lives where we look at ourselves and we, uh, we lift ourselves up maybe a little bit too high in our own desires and what we want out of life. And we're going to be looking at Solomon specifically tonight and the words that he shares with us from Ecclesiastes about vanity and selfishness, but mostly how do we escape and what can we learn from his perspective? When we think about vanity, what is vanity? You know, there's a lot of different words that come to mind. There's a lot of different situations that I think of when it comes to vanity. Um, I I think about, um, and I say it's a movement, it's not really a movement, but I look at the way that uh, young people take pictures and call them selfies. It's taking a picture of yourself in a particular situation. I saw a lot of those on our Peru trip. Uh, one particular person, I won't name any names. I uh, don't want to do that to David. But we look at our society and we, we are focused on ourselves. Not saying that that is bad and that's not the point of that at all. But I look at who do we focus on the most in our lives. Now, a picture is not determining who we are and what our main focus is. But there's a lot of things that go that way. So when I think about vanity... I think about self-consumed. I think about narcissism. I think about lifting ourselves up too high and forgetting about the true purpose of our lives, which should be reflecting God and Christ in every aspect of our life. So when I think about vanity, I probably have a lot of different terms that come to mind, and you do too. It'd be very easy to go to Webster's Dictionary and look up vanity. But if we were going to ask Solomon, Solomon, what do you think vanity is? What do you think he would say? What do you think his response would be? If you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 2, Solomon says, all is vanity. Oh, well, that's great. Thanks, Solomon. All is vanity? Really? That's the definition you're giving me. When I say, what is vanity? He's going to step back in all of his wisdom and all of his insight and say, all is vanity. What is that supposed to mean? Are you saying that every aspect of my life is vain? Every aspect of my life is consumed in some portion with vanity? Solomon, what are you getting at here? Because that concerns me. That concerns me that if you're saying every portion of my life or every portion of man's life is vanity, then we've got some work that we really need to do. And if you look in context to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 2, he's saying, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south 
and goes around to the north, and around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been and what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new, it's been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things, yet to be among those who come after. Solomon looks out, and he, he's going to expound on it a little bit more when we say, Solomon, what is your perspective on vanity? What, what is your definition? I know that you're saying all is vanity, but I'm a little confused, because that worries me. So really, what is going on here? What, uh, what is the true purpose? And he says, look, you look at things that are around us, and he says, the world has been in motion. Things have existed. He says, there's nothing new. The winds, they go around and around and around and around. He said, that's how it is. Things are just in motion. That's what happens. Solomon's perspective on vanity is just a little different from ours. In our modern age, we think of vanity as being self-absorbed, narcissistic, but the picture that he's painting in Ecclesiastes is a little bit different. So let's see if we can add some other terms and maybe another qualifying aspect onto vanity in the eyes of Solomon. Some other thoughts that come to mind is vanity is self-centered, as we've already stated. It's everything revolving around us versus revolving around God. Vanity is pride. Look at what I can do. Look at what I have done. Look at all the things that I have accomplished in my life. It's me, me, me. There's pride. But there's also arrogance. It's not just look at the things that I've done, but look at what I'm capable of doing. Look at all the things that my hands can accomplish. Look at the power that I have as me. There's arrogance that's involved. But Solomon adds a new one on that maybe you wouldn't equate with vanity. He says, vanity is a striving after the wind. The instant picture that comes to mind to me is a dog sticking his head out of the window as it's going down the road trying to bite the wind. That is striving after the wind. He's not going to accomplish anything. He's not, going to, uh, he's not going to get anything out of what he's doing except for the joy and the pleasure in and of itself. He said that is a striving after the wind. So that's the picture that comes to my mind. He says vanity is a striving after the wind. He says all of those pursuits in our life that are not God, that are self-centered, that are prideful, that are arrogant. He said all of those things are like you're striving after the wind. It looks good. It feels good. It looks like it's actually accomplishing something in your life, but its end has no positive result at all. He says it's a striving after the wind. It's accomplishing nothing. As we continue further in the words that Solomon gives us in Ecclesiastes, we're only going to be looking at the first two chapters. He says, I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. Solomon being the wisest person that maybe we can think of, thinking how he would ask God for that wisdom, which we're going to see in a little bit. But you, you put him on a higher pedestal. I have a lot of expectations out of Solomon. Even though I know that he failed, I still have high expectations about who Solomon should be because I've seen the works of his hands. 
I've seen the kingdom that he established. When it was in his reign, it was better than what his father had established in the size of it. He had taken what David had prepared and put it into action. David had prepared and even funded the building of the temple. Solomon puts it into action and he does that. I have a high expectation now of what Solomon is able to accomplish because I've seen his toil. I've seen the things that he has done by looking at the scriptures. And he has too. And he steps back in Ecclesiastes and he looks at all these things. He said, even the things that I did in my life, I'll tell you right now, was a striving after the wind. Did I build a temple for the Lord? Yes. Did I give him an established place? Yes. Did I set up Jerusalem as the place where all people shall flow to to worship? Yes. Did I dedicate this area and this people further to to the plan of God? Yes. But I look at a lot of other parts of my life. I look at a lot of other portions of my life and I see that it was a striving after the wind. That I was running but going nowhere at all. He says, this is what I've learned. And he said, here are the steps that I took to figure these things out. And he says, I want to go ahead and warn you. He said, I spoke to my heart and I said, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. What a dangerous statement for us to see. What a dangerous statement it is for someone to make. And when I step back and I think about just Solomon saying that, when he says, come He said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself, but behold, this was also vanity. Now, if each one of us in this room took on this mantra, took on this motto in our lives of heart, you lead me. Heart, you take me where I should go. Heart, you decide what I should follow. You decide what I should do. What would we look like? What would the church be like? What would your family be like? What would your job look like? What would you be like personally? Because there's been times in my life where I decided, you know what, heart, you're the guide. You decide it. And when I followed that, there was more gloom and more destruction in my life than what I wanted. Over in Proverbs, Solomon describes it. He says, don't follow after worthless pursuits that have no end. He says, you toil and you do what you can But don't follow worthless pursuits that have no positive thing. So he said, when I took up the mantra of my life of heart, you decide. He said, I looked out at my kingdom and I searched for everything I could. I searched for gardens, things that I could build, books I could read, people I could meet, things that I could do that would uplift me and my heart. And he goes and he lists them starting in chapter 2. And going uh, from verse 1 to verse 8, he says, I searched it out. He said, I tried every kind of fulfillment that I could in my life. There might be a person in this room who's still struggling with this. There might be someone in here right now who's thinking, you know what? My heart has been my guide. And I've been searching for fulfillment and belonging in different portions of my life that will never actually fill me. Like I said, you look in Proverbs and it's little It's little thoughts that uh, Solomon provides for us. And he says, you know what? I, I searched after wine. And he says, and it looked like it was fulfilling in the moment. He said, the strong drink looked like it accomplished something. He said, it was, it was just visions. It was just, it was just things that clouded my judgment. And he said, happiness wasn't there. We know Solomon didn't actually have happiness with his marriages. He searched for more and more things that would fill his lust and his flesh. It wasn't there. 
Solomon even decided to go outside of the perimeters of the worship of God to find something else that would fulfill him. It wasn't there. So when you start looking at Solomon, you say, all right, describe to me a little bit more about this vanity. And he says, all is vanity. I'm starting to see where it's coming from. I'm starting to see what his desire is. I'm starting to see what he was really struggling with in his life. He says, it's because I looked to my heart and I said, you be the guide. He said, I found out there was nothing there. Because vanity in the sight of Solomon, he says, it's emptiness. It's not the same way that we view vanity in our day. When we think about self-centered in the full respect of consuming ourselves and, and, and priming and primping ourselves in every uh, aspect. He says, no, that's really not what vanity is. True vanity is striving after something that actually leaves you empty. Now, they go together. That's part and parcel because when we're so focused on ourselves, if we're focused on our jobs, if we're focused on acquiring money and possession and, and, and stature within the world, he says, yeah, that's going to leave you empty. There may be people who are sitting here in this, worship, in this worship, and you have an empty worship. You have an empty relationship with God because that has not been your goal. That has not been your desire. You've been filling yourself with other things in your life that are actually leaving you emptier and emptier and emptier. Because there's only one thing that can fill us. There's only one thing that we can walk away from in a positive light, and it's God. So he says, my mantra was, I will follow and I will test the pleasures of my heart. He says, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He said, after I did all that, I was still empty. Maybe you're thinking the same thing. I've searched after a lot of things in my life. else is coming in after me? He said, that was the most sobering part of it all, is that when I looked at what I had, I realized that when I die, there's someone who's going to pick up after me. And we know who picks up after Solomon. We know what happens to his kingdom when he leaves, that it's torn apart in what we now consider the divided kingdom. And you look into that era, it's after Solomon lived. He said, yes, someone came in after me, and then it all fell apart because they didn't actually care at all. It reminds me of Alexander the Great, one of the, the... great Greek leaders who went from one place to the other, conquering person after person, nation after nation. He went all over the, uh, all over the regions, gathering nations to himself and establishing the Greek culture among people. And when it came time for him to die, when he was sitting on his deathbed, a great group of men were around him, leaders who would come after him. And they say, who will, who will take the kingdom? He says, let it go to the strongest. And he died. And from that point, the Greek culture and the Greek life and the nation would never be the same. It was divided all over where he had been. His whole dynasty had fallen apart. And it reminds me of Solomon. He says, I knew someone was going to come after me, and they may not have the same goal and the same desires in life as me. So he said, I realize that what I do now has a purpose, but it's only why I'm here. He says, what comes after my life, I cannot say. But what happens now, I can make it my goal to strive after God. 
That was the whole point of him saying that. He says, there's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. He says, to enjoy what you have now, not to pursue things that will fill you up that won't actually accomplish anything, but to fulfill yourself in the plan of God and your true workmanship. He said, that is what is beneficial. So when I think about how to describe Solomon, if you'll take all these thoughts and can condense them together to get a better perspective, I'd give him three, char- uh, three characteristics. One, I assume that he is a wise man, knowing that. I would consider him a godly man, but also consider him very foolish. In these three aspects, I would put on to us. To look into it a bit further, to describe him as a wise man, you see in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, when he desired to discern between good and evil, that he may rule the kingdom well. He said, that's all I desire. That's what I want is to rule the people well. He's a wise man. He made those statements. We know that he wrote Proverbs, and we know that he wrote many songs and a lot of wise sayings to people because it says so in chapter 4, 29 through 30. He says he wrote 3,000 Proverbs, hundreds of songs, said a lot of wise sayings. We understand that. So he was a wise person. But what happened? When did things begin to change? Because I know he was a godly person. He was the one that established the temple. He's the one that established Jerusalem as the place that they should go. As you see in 1 Kings chapter 8, 22 through 24, you see a, uh, a prayer that he prays that is, that's huge, that's valuable, that's one that we should be praying, a, a prayer of dedication. He was convicted and he was committed in his heart. But the foolish side is when he allowed passions to lead him away. 1 Kings chapter 11, 1 through 8 is the fall of Solomon when he desired many wives and it was they that that led him away from God to worship many other gods. When he changed from God to other things, when he began to strive after the wind, when he began to fill himself with things that would not actually satisfy him, everything fell apart. In a physical sense, his kingdom was destroyed. In a spiritual sense, his life was depleted. So what does that mean for us? What is the hope that we can have? What is it that we can draw from this? I want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. I think it's here that you will find four points that, will, uh, that I want you to understand. I want you to get out of this one passage that puts it all into perspective. Appreciate Paul reading it earlier, and we're going to look at it again tonight. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There's four points that I want you to see in here, four things that I want you to attach to, and that I want you to start implementing in your life right now. You have to deny yourself. Paul says it here as for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to to lift themselves up. Jesus would describe, he says, you take up your cross, you deny yourself and you follow me. Putting myself last, putting God first and my neighbor as myself, but I I really put me last. I take the true desires that I want out of life, the fleshly desires, the things that could take me away from God and I put it to the side and I don't lift myself up, but I lift God up. He says that's got to be the first step. You've got to deny yourself. Then you have to forsake possessions. 
We have so many possessions. We have so many physical blessings in our life. And not saying that we can't acquire wealth or we can't have those things, but if that becomes our God, we've missed the point. To Solomon, his possessions, his rank became his God. It became his toil. It became his purpose. And he says this was a striving after the wind. And Paul says here, nor the set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. I enjoy Proverbs chapter 23 where uh, Solomon says that, he says, don't let your eyes light on wealth because it'll grow wings and it'll disappear and it'll fly away like an eagle to the heavens. He says, don't make possessions your desire because they're going to disappear. So you have to deny yourself. You have to forsake your possessions. You have to pursue God. Putting him first in your life. So he says here, he says, uh, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Don't let possessions be the driving force in your life. Don't let things of this earth be your drive. Let it be God. In all things, you search how to please him, how to make God proud of you, glorifying him in all things, being that child that he desires. You pursue him. If you'll pursue him, even the devil will flee from you. You pursue him, evil flees from you. If you pursue God, all things in life will work because you have faith and trust in him, number one. And then be strengthened. That's what has to come from this because to deny yourself, to forsake your possessions, to pursue God causes changes in your life that you may not be ready for. It caused you to make things happen around you that is going to test your entire being. It's going to test your entire worldview. It's going to test everything about you in your relationships, in your jobs, everything. So you have to be strengthened at the end of it. Paul says in verse 17, he says, But you set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Be strengthened in knowing that God will protect you. In Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10 and going through 13, Paul says, I know how to abound and I know how to be brought low. I know how to have things of this earth and I know how to be at the, the end of it. I know how to be the scum of the earth and I know how to be on top of it all. He says, but there was one thing, one consistent, one foundation that I depended on the entire way through. He says it was on God. I searched him first. And all things fall together. That's the strength that I want you to get out of it. That's what I want us to understand is that when we look at vain things of this life, when we look at vanity, when we look at our desires, understand that anything in comparison to God is a striving after the wind. Anything in comparison to God is filling us up with things that will not satisfy. So I ask you tonight as you look at your life, what have you been filling yourself with? What has been your goal? What has been your desire? Has it been to serve God and to be that child that pleases Him? Or has it been to say to your heart, let's search after your pleasures. Let's do what you want. Flesh, heart, you be the guide. Because you'll find there that you are actually empty. You're not being filled up with anything. Take the escape. Take the chance to run away and pursue God, forsake, denying yourself, forsaking possessions, pursuing God and be strengthened by Him. If you need changes in your life and you're scared and you don't know what to do, the church is here to pray with you and strengthen you.
But if you want to start that pursuit, you say, I'm ready to deny myself. You deny your sins. You die to those sins. You're buried with Christ in the watery grave of baptism. You rise to walk in the newness of life, being strengthened in that. If you want to make that decision, do it tonight. If there's any way that we